what is referred to in halacha as Shvisas Kalim. So we begin with a Mishnah Mesecha Shabbos. First of all, what does Shvisas Kalim even mean? Shvisas Kalim means we know that we as individuals, as Jews, are not allowed to do malacha on Shabbos. Ata uvincha uvitecha, I'm not allowed to do malacha, my children are not allowed to do malacha, contrary to popular belief. You are not allowed to have your children go turn on the lights on Shabbos. You're not allowed to do all these kinds of things. I have to make sure that the same way I don't violate a malacha, I don't facilitate my children to do any malacha either. Now the question that the Gemara discusses is, would there be any prohibition if I am not doing anything, my children are not doing anything, but my items that belong to me are doing malacha by themselves? So what does that mean? Says the Mishnah Masecha Shabbos, Yud Zayin Amadalif, it's the first entry on the source sheet. Beishamai Omrim. This is a dispute between Beishamai and Beishilal, who very often have disputes in the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Beishamai says, How is it? Any of you ever been to a camp or to a program where they dye shirts, tie-dye? Right? So you have to like dip it in and you have to leave it there, for, I assume, for a certain amount of time. You can't just put it in and take it right out, correct? So it takes some time. How much time does it take? I don't know. I assume if you're doing a real professional dye for a piece of fabric... You have to leave it in for a significant amount of time, says the Mishnah. In the days of the Mishnah, they used to do the same thing. So I have fabric, and I want it to be a different color. So I put it into a big bucket of dye, and I leave it there. How long does it need to be there? Let's say 16 hours. I have no idea. But let's say it has to be there 16 hours. So I put it in. Great time to do it is on Friday afternoon, when nothing else has to be done over Shabbos. And this is a very easy activity. So I put it into the dye Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock, and I say, after Shabbos is over, let me go and take it out. Would there be any prohibition with doing that on Erev Shabbos? Beishamai says, you're not allowed to soak the, the fabric in the dye on Erev Shabbos because you know that throughout the duration of Shabbos, it is going to get deeper and deeper into the fabric, and that is not permissible. And Beis Hillel comes along and says, what are you talking about? Why should that be prohibited? I'm not doing anything. I set up a system before Shabbos. The system is now in motion for itself to play out the way it's supposed to. It doesn't require my involvement in any way. There shouldn't be any problem at all. That is the machlokas between Beishamai and Beishila. Dispute number two. Similar case, but not exactly the same. What happens if I want to trap an animal? So trapping an animal, I assume, requires time as well. You can't just assume you're going to go out into the fields, trap an animal right away. You have to try, you have to try this way, try that way. So sometimes you just have to leave the trap out there in the field and assume that over a day, an animal is going to walk by and get stuck in it. So says the Mishnah, what happens if I have a trap that is set up on Erev Shabbos? And I say, you know what? This is a great time to leave it there. I'm not going to go out on Shabbos itself and trap the animal. I'm just going to leave the trap there and come back after Shabbos is over and see what happened. Beishamai says, you're not allowed to do that. And Beishilal argues and he says, of course, that would be permissible. And then the Gemara introduces us to an additional example that is very similar as well. Says the Gemara, post-Gemayim Legina. Let's say I have a field and I want that it should be watered. I want that it should be irrigated properly. So I have a whole system where I pour the water into these tubes and then slowly it goes down the tube and it waters the entire field. So let's say I have some kind of suspension irrigation system. Of course, today it makes sense because you have electronically you can do it. But back then... Let's say I had some kind of fancy system where I was able to pour the water on Erev Shabbos and slowly, slowly, it would drip down into the system and over the course of Shabbos, it would irrigate the entire field as was necessary over the course of the entire duration of Shabbos. Would that be a violation of Shabbos? Says the Gemara once again, that would seem to be a machlokas between 
Or another example the Gemara gives is when you used to have, they didn't have perfume like we have today in a spray bottle. So what did they do? They used to take different spices, different incense. They would put it on top of a fire and they would put the clothing on a rack on top of that. And then the smoke from the fire would basically be infused into the clothing. So the clothing would smell good. Same thing as a spray bottle, just much more complicated. So the Gemara wants to know, would I be allowed to leave my clothing on top of that rack before Shabbos light the fire and have the fumes go into the clothing the entire duration of Shabbos. Now, of course, doing that on Shabbos itself would not be allowed. Watering the plants on Shabbos would not be allowed. Um, dyeing the clothing on Shabbos in the pot of dye, in the, uh, in the whatever you have there, would not be permissible. But doing all this before Shabbos and then allowing it to set in on Shabbos itself, that is what the Gemara brings into question. And the Gemara explains that this entire dispute between Meshama and hinges on the following question. Are we mitzufa on shvisas kalim b'shabbos or not? When the Torah says that I, as an individual, am not allowed to do any malacha, how all-encompassing is that halacha? Does that mean just me? Does that mean even any utensil that belongs to me is not allowed to be used on Shabbos? Or is it limited to my action, to my activity, but if it's something that I'm not doing, wouldn't be a problem? The bottom line opinion in the halacha is like Basilo that ain Adam Mitsuva al Shvisas Kalim Bishabbas. We have no prohibition for our utensils to be doing Malacha on Shabbos. If I'm the one that is instructing it to do Malacha, meaning if I'm turning on the system, or if I'm engaged in the Malacha, or I'm sending someone to do it for me, of course that is not allowed. But if everything was set up before and then automatically it all happens, that would be entirely permissible and there would be no prohibition at all. Let's look at the words of the Rambam where he, can, uh, he canonizes this very clearly. If you look at number Gimel, the Rambam in Paragimel, Hilchas Shabbos, Halacha Aleph. What does the Rambam say? Mutter lahaschal malacha be'erev Shabbos. The Rambam is unequivocally clear that I would be allowed to start a malacha on Erev Shabbos, get the process going. Even though it means that this is going to be completed on Shabbos itself. The only prohibition to do malacha on Shabbos is what I'm actually doing Malacha on Shabbos. But here, Kishatasa Malacha Me'atzma B'Shabbos, but here where the Malacha is happening on its own, I would be allowed to derive benefit, I would be allowed to do this, set up a system, not a problem at all. And therefore, when you go back to all of these examples that the Gemara gave, setting up the irrigation system, dyeing the fabrics in the pot of dye, um, what else did we say? Trapping the animals with a trap that was set up before Shabbos began, or anything of that nature would be permissible because the system was already in motion before Shabbos started. Now, the Shulchan Aruch does mention one notable exception. Shulchan Aruch says, we have a concept in Halacha that is referred to as Maris Ayin. Maris Ayin means, even when I'm doing something that is 100% okay, I have to be concerned that maybe somebody is going to misinterpret what it is that I'm doing, and learn negative behaviors from what they see me doing, even if they're misinterpreting in the wrong way. So say, for example, I want to go into McDonald's here because I want to buy a coffee or I want to buy a soda. The coffee is questionable. But let's say I want to buy a soda, which is a closed bottle. There could be nothing trafe about the bottle of soda. It's the same bottle of soda you get in CVS. It happens to be I'm on the corner of the McDonald's. There is no CVS around. I need a drink. I want to go in. So... Am I allowed to step into that restaurant, which is not a kosher restaurant, and people who see me going in may have the mistaken impression that I am going to eat non-kosher food. Would I be allowed to do that or not? 
Very good question. The question really hinges on this issue of maris ayin. Are we concerned that somebody who sees you is going to misinterpret what it is that you're doing? My father often says it depends where you live. If you live in Kansas where nobody knows much about Jews, they do know that Jews keep kosher. When they see a Jew walking into a McDonald's, they may think the wrong thing. If you live in New York City where everybody knows when a Jew needs to use the restroom or a Jew needs to get a drink, they go into a McDonald's and they get a drink and they leave. Everybody knows that that's the case. Nobody's going to think negatively about your behavior. Maybe it would be a little bit different. Anyway, this concept of marasayin is something that we find in many different areas in halacha. Say, for example, the Shulchan Aruch says, would I be allowed to have at the end of a big meat banquet, let's say I'm at a wedding, and now at the end of the wedding, they want to serve coffee with dairy creamer. So would they be allowed to serve it or not? So if it's dairy, of course not. That would be basar b'chalab. That would be eating meat, meat and milk within a small time frame. You wouldn't be allowed to do that. But what if you have a substitute, uh, a substitute, sorry, you have a substitute, which is non-dairy, a non-dairy creamer, which you want to put out with the coffee at the end of a meat meal. Would I be allowed to do that? That is discussed in the Shulchan Aruch. That is discussed in the Shulchan Aruch. Would I be allowed to do that or not? After all, somebody who walks by and sees me pouring a white substance into a coffee right after I had a big meat meal may mistakenly think that this was eating, meat, eating milk and meat within a small proximity of time. On the other hand, do we say that this has become so publicized nowadays that this is what everybody does? At the end of a meal, you bring out a non-dairy creamer and nobody has any questions. So Marasine is very subjective and it very much depends on the time and place where you are, the action that you're doing, how exactly you're doing it, which is really not the focus of our shir. However, Shulchan Aruch writes the following case. Yes, it is true, says the Shulchan Aruch, that there is no prohibition for me to have my utensils doing malacha on Shabbos. So therefore, there would be no problem to set up the trap before Shabbos that it itself, on its own, should be able to catch animals on Shabbos. And there is no problem to set up a system where the fabric is going to be dyed over the course of Shabbos. However, says the Shulchan Aruch, if there's a Maris Ayan issue, if somebody who walks by is going to think that I'm doing a violation of Shabbos, then I'm not allowed to do it. What is the example that the Shulchan Aruch gives? So the example the Shulchan Aruch gives is, let's say we have a very celebrated area in our community, which is called Schechter's Bathhouse, right? So today we don't have such a thing, but let's say we have Schechter's uh, Spa. And that's a very exciting place for people to go, especially over the weekends when they have off from work and they want to relax. Everybody wants to go. And it's very obvious that it's owned by a Jew. And it's very obvious that it belongs to me and that I am going to be getting the proceeds and the profits from everything that goes on there. Now, it so happens, of course, I would not run my business on Shabbos. That's not running a business on its own. That's me running my business if I leave it open. However, what if a non-Jew comes to me and says, Schefter, I love the spot that you have. It is so perfectly situated. I love the fact that people can come over the weekends and enjoy themselves and relax, but I know that you can work on Shabbos. So how about this? I'm going to rent it from you every Saturday. I'll make the money. I'll give you some kind of little percentage. I'll give you a cut. Or I will or I won't, whatever it is, but I want to use it while it's just sitting dormant on Shabbos. Why should it be wasted? Would I be allowed to give over that property to a non-Jew to use on Shabbos when it has a sign on it? We are a kosher facility. We are Schechter's you know, recreation and spa here. Everybody knows that it's owned by a Jew. And somebody who walks by on Shabbos and sees that there are customers going in and there's business going on is not aware of the fact that I rented it or I sold it to a non-Jew for Shabbos. They think my business is running. So in that case, says the Shulchan Aruch, you would not be allowed to have your 
things being used, even though you're not doing anything, because of his side consideration of Maras Ayin. Now, how does that play in practically in terms of the kinds of business constructs that we have today? That is a very complicated question, which we're not going to get into today. But say, for example, I have real estate, right? So I can't just shut down my business every Shabbos. What am I going to do? I also can't work on Shabbos, but I have tenants who are using the apartments. They can't call the office when there's a problem and say, oh, I'm sorry, we're closed on Saturday. So if you have a, you know, if your toilet overflows and you need somebody to come and fix it, you can't just say like, oh, I'm sorry, we're closed on Shabbos and we don't help you. That, that doesn't work in today's world that we have. So it does come, it does become very complicated. How do you structure this properly in the kinds of business uh, ventures that we have today and the kinds of understandings of the way business works today? That is a very complicated question. But just to keep it simple, Shulchan Aruch says, although it's true that if I set the system in motion before Shabbos, there is no problem for my items to be doing malacha, as long as it's happening on its own, the exception to the rule would be if there would be a Maris Ayin issue and somebody who sees would mistakenly think that I am doing malacha. Okay, let's focus back on the Gemara, yeah? Very good question. Is Marasayin the same if you have a Jew who sees you or a non-Jew? The answer is there are two different problems with Marasayin. One is that a Jew may see me and he may learn negative behaviors from what I'm doing. He may say, oh, I was in the middle of Manhattan the other day. I saw Schechter going into McDonald's. It must be that the laws of Kashras no longer apply. Now, what they're not understanding is that I went in because I needed a drink and I left right away after I purchased the drink. So that's one issue. There's chashad and there's marasayin. Marasayin means somebody is going to learn negative behavior from me and do something wrong as a result of their misunderstanding. Number two, there's chashad, which means someone is going to accuse me of doing something wrong. Meaning they're going to say, Shechter claims to be such a religious fellow. Meanwhile, when nobody else was looking, when he wasn't here in the classroom, he was down the block going, getting non-kosher food, and I saw it, and I have a video to prove it. There's two different things. Both of them are reasonable. Both of them are what we need to be concerned about. Now, it happens to be, I mentioned before, that there is a discussion about how far does Maris Ayin go? Like, how much do I have to be concerned? There are conspiracy theorists who come up with crazy stories about everything, who have wild imaginations and think of all kinds of possibilities. When they see me doing anything, they're going to assume, you know, they, they assume the worst. Very negative people assume the worst. So the question is, how am I supposed to live? What do I do? So the answer is, as long as it's something that is realistic, most realistic people would think this or not think this, that is normally the way we judge. So say, for example, the, um, the Mishnah writes in Meseches Kilayim. The Mishnah writes in Meseches Kilayim. Let's say, what is Kilayim? Kilayim means I'm not allowed to have wool and linen woven together in a garment. Fine. Sounds pretty simple. Now, what happens if I have silk and linen woven together in a garment? What would you say? Not allowed or yes allowed? You say? What? Of course it's allowed. Why not? Why wouldn't it be allowed? The Torah says wool and linen are not permissible. If you have a different item, that's not part of the prohibition. Now, says the Shulchan Aruch based on the Mishnah, the Rush writes this, based on the Mishnah, we're told, since nobody really understands fabric very well, and when you look at a piece of silk, you don't know how to differentiate that from a piece of wool or linen, Therefore, you wouldn't be allowed to add silk to a linen garment because people are going to think that you are sewing kilayim together. Even though that's not the Torah prohibition, but people are going to confuse it and make a mistake. 
Along comes the rush, and he says, yes, that was in the days when nobody knew anything about fabrics. But now, he says, we live in Europe. We live in industrious communities. We live in communities where people do business all the time, where we go shopping all the time, where we look at different items of clothing, where we can feel that something feels like silk or looks like wool or linen, and we understand how to differentiate between them. Says the Rush, this whole prohibition of the Mishnah no longer applies. Why? Because nobody would ever make that mistake. If you are going to sew silk and linen together nowadays, nobody is going to think that you are, that you are sewing or that you are manufacturing wool and linen together. So it has to be reasonable. That is true. However, there is one exception that the Mishnah writes in Masech HaShkalit. This has nothing to do with Hilchah Shabbos, but just an interesting point to consider. The one exception is in Masech HaShkalit. You know what's the exception? Masech HaShkalit is all about Machzis HaShekel. Machzis HaShekel is what? Once a year, actually this time of year, on Rosh Chodesh Adar, they make an announcement, everybody in the Jewish community has to give a Machzis HaShekel toward the fund of the Beis HaMikdash. Now, it sounds like very little, but when you have millions of people giving a Machzis HaShekel, it adds up to be a lot of money. What was the reason for the Machzis HaShekel? That was supposed to fund their Karbanos for the entire year. Every day in the Beis HaMikdash, there was a carbon brought in the morning and a carbon brought in the afternoon. Who's supposed to pay for it? The answer is that is a carbon that is representative of all of us. Really, I'm supposed to bring the carbon, but I'm not able to be there every day. And the whole Jewish people is supposed to bring the carbon, but we can't be there every day. So we give money once a year. They have a big fund, which is the carbon fund. And then every day they bring from the money in that fund, they bring a carbon in the morning, carbon in the afternoon. And it's as if all of us are the owners of that carbon. Very nice. Now, we obviously have to have an accountant in the Beis Hamikdash who's going to figure out how much money we have, how much money we should spend. What is it? So they have a designated Kohen who goes in to the Lishka, which means to the office, and he counts up all the money. Says the Gemara, when he goes into that office, he has to make sure he cannot have a hem on his pants. There are not allowed to be any pockets in the pants either, or in his shirt. He's not allowed to wear his tefillin. He's not allowed to wear shoes, no socks, no shoes, no anything. Why? Why not? What? Because we don't want anyone to say anything. So no one can accuse him of anything. He goes in with a shorts and a t-shirt. I don't know what he wears, but he wears something that it's impossible for him to hide any money. And says the Mishnah, he's not even allowed to wear his tefillin. What's going to happen if he wears his tefillin? What are you concerned about? You're concerned that maybe, you know, the tefillin has an open compartment. We're concerned maybe this ganav, maybe this robber is going to open up his tefillin, hide a couple of coins in there, and walk out of the room. So because we don't want that to happen, because we don't want anyone to say anything, he's not allowed to wear shoes or socks, he's not allowed to have hem on his pants, he can't have, he can't have pockets in his pants either, he can't wear anything that's going to make anyone wonder, including his tefillin. It sounds very far-fetched. And after all, who do you think they designated for this job? They probably made sure to find somebody who was very erlich, very upstanding, very trustworthy and honorable. Like, how many jobs in the Beis Hamikdash require a very upstanding, honorable person? Not all of them. You're counting money. You're the accountant of the Beis Hamikdash. You probably would find a Kohen who is beyond, you know, repute, who has any, no stories against him, who nobody could say a bad word about, and yet still we have to be worried that maybe somebody's going to say, if he goes in with his tefillin, that maybe he hid something in his tefillin. It sounds very unreasonable. I used to say this all the time until there was an article in the news a couple of years ago that there was somebody who was going to Israel and hid uh, diamonds in his tefillin. And they found it. He actually opened up the compartments in his tefillin and hid a few diamonds and tried to smuggle it into the country. 
and they found it. So I no longer could say that it's unreasonable that a person would do that. But I would seem to say, I would venture to say that it is unreasonable to assume that the most upstanding Kohen that has been singled out by all the other Kohanim in the Beis Hamikdash to do this job, I would venture to say probably we should believe him. Probably we should trust that like he didn't do anything wrong. And he's such a tzaddik, the only thing he walks in with is his tefillin. He's probably being very careful. And yet the Mishnah says that we have to be concerned in Maris Ayin. So what is that all about? Rav Asher Weiss once told me the answer is, yes, it's true. When you are living life as an individual, you only have to be worried about normal considerations that people may think of. They see you doing this, they see you doing that. You have to think how they're going to interpret what it is that I'm doing. You don't have to come up with wild possibilities and be worried about it. When you hold a public position, the standard has to be impeccable. You cannot do anything that even the person with the wildest imagination will think is negative. You have to hold yourself to a higher standard. You work for the Beis HaMikdash. You have a high power job. You have a very significant job. Your job is one where everybody's watching you and you need to realize that responsibility that you hold. And even if you're going to have an inappropriate person who's going to think about wild thoughts and come up with some kind of concoction of a crazy story that is so far from the reality, you need to think about that. You need to consider that possibility because a public person who is in a public position needs to be held to a higher standard. Amir Tashem, some of you will go out someday and have public positions. And it's something you need to think about. Public positions in many different ways. It doesn't mean you're going to be the Rebetzin of a community. It means maybe you're going to be the CEO of a company. It means maybe you're going to be, you know, the leader of a group who does all kinds of different things. And you need to realize that people are always watching you and that people are always scrutinizing everything you do. And it takes an extra measure of, of consideration before you do anything to think, how are people going to interpret or misinterpret or misread what it is that I am doing? And that is the standard. Maybe it's a double standard sometimes, but it's a standard that people in public positions are held to. And we all need to be very aware of that. How do we get into this? I'm not sure. But let's get back into the Gemara. So what does the Gemara say? Yeah, we got into it because I said the exception to the rule would be Maris Ayin. If I have a business and people see it running on Shabbos, even though Anandu is running it, they're going to think that I'm doing business. So that is the exception to the rule. But generally we assume that there is no problem at all of Shvisas Kalim B'Shabbos. I do not have to make sure that my utensils, that my items that belong to me, refrain from doing Malacha on Shabbos. As long as I am not doing the Malacha, as long as I am not actively engaged, there is no problem at all. And therefore the Gemara says, if I set up a trap before Shabbos and the animal gets caught on Shabbos itself, there would be no room for concern at all. Okay, what would be a modern day application of this reality? setting up a system before Shabbos that will run itself on Shabbos itself. What is that? Lights. What do you mean lights? Like timer. timer, not lights. Timer. A Shabbos clock. So lights is an example of what we use a timer for, but the Shabbos clock is the basic example of exactly what the Gemara describes. I set up a system before Shabbos and then on Shabbos itself, the system just goes and I don't have to do anything. And this was a very, very heated debate and controversy in the last hundred years between the great Gedolim, Ramosha Feinstein and Shlomo Zalman Arabach and Men the Chalkas Yaakov and many other great Gedolim, Tzitzel Everybody who wrote Svarim in the last 75 years wrote about this because this is a very important question. What is the halacha, what is the status of Shabbos clocks on Shabbos? It's funny that we call them Shabbos clocks where we're not even sure if we can use them on Shabbos. 
So what can possibly be the objection? Let me first lay out what some of the objections are, and then we'll go through it a little bit more in depth. I'm not sure if we're going to finish everything today. I think this is an important topic to discuss in general because it gets into other things about having dishwashers and machine and washing machines running on Shabbos. All of those are very important issues to think about. But just before we get into all the details, let me just speak out the problem or the concern that some of the posts can have about running a Shabbos clock on Shabbos for whatever device you may set it to. Number one, they say, the Gemara here has a discussion about whether or not there's a prohibition of Shvisas Kalim. Do we have to make sure that our utensils don't do work on Shabbos? As we mentioned, it's a machlokis between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel. Rishlam Zaman Urbach writes that there are those who say that a Yari Shammayim should be machmer for the opinion of Beis Shammai. Maybe Beis Shammai is right. And not only are we prohibited from doing actual malach on Shabbos, but maybe we also have to make sure that our utensils don't do malach on Shabbos. And if that is the case, that would be problem number one with this whole issue of the Shabbos clock. Potential problem number two is the following. What is the distinction between a Shabbos clock and the description of the cases that are given in the Mishnah? Anybody know? The cases that the Mishnah had. Say, for example, I set up a trap before Shabbos, and then over the course of Shabbos, an animal gets caught in it. I come back after Shabbos, I see the activity was done. Great. Mishnah says that would be permissible. What is different about that and a Shabbos clock? Sounds very similar, but what's the difference? Yeah? Hmm? You're getting, You're getting hana on Shabbos. Good. Okay. You're deriving benefit on Shabbos itself. The Shabbos clock is doing work on Shabbos that I'm actually going to benefit from now. When the animal is being caught, I'm not going to get benefit now. I'm getting benefit later. But what about change the case? What about the shirt that's in the dye? I'm getting benefit now, right? Because that shirt is already wearable now. So that should be the same. So what would be a distinction, a fundamental distinction, between the case of a Shabbos clock and the case that we're describing in the Mishnah? Yeah? I was thinking like the animals will like setting off the trap. Like, like we're not supposed to be doing each other with a light. Like no one's like, you want to prepare it to go up. Okay, that is a difference, but I'm looking for another one. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Oh, I mean, I don't know. I'm just like doing like guessing. Great. There is a malacha of tzoveya, yeah, of dying something. There's also a malacha to die on Shabbos. It's not a good thing to do. It's got to lighten the mood a little, yes. So Tara is correct. The answer is that when it comes to the cases in the Mishnah, there, there, everything is set up before Shabbos, and everything, if it stays the way it is, will work. Here by a Shabbos clock, I am activating a system to begin on Shabbos. It's not that everything happened before Shabbos and now it's just continuing on. It's lingering on through the whole Shabbos. It's the lights were on before Shabbos started. Now the lights are going off at the end of our Shabbos meal. Tomorrow morning, they're going to go back on. That's reactivating a whole system. It's not just continuing a malacha that started. So there are some achronim who say that perhaps that would not be similar. Just because the Mishnah says that you would be allowed to have an animal that is trapped if you set up the whole system before Shabbos, not necessarily can you extrapolate from that that you would also therefore be allowed to set up a Shabbos clock where the lights are going to go on on Shabbos. That's a malacha that is starting, that's being initiated on Shabbos. Well, it's true that I am not the one pressing the buttons, but maybe if I set up a system where I know the buttons are going to be pressed on Shabbos, that would not be similar to the case 
that we just described in the Mishnah. That is a major point of distinction that some Achronim say that is maybe why we have a problem with the Shabbos clock, yes? Um, what if you plug in a heater mm-hmm. and it, like, it turns on for a little bit and then turns off and then turns on a little bit? It's, I don't know if it's on a timer, but like it goes off and on. And Same question. A, Same thing. Is that okay? Air conditioner, right? What? The air conditioner. Air conditioner goes on and off based on a the thermostat. So is that okay? Like a we're gonna, so we're going to get to the to the specific um, items a little bit later or maybe next week. But I just, I want to talk generally about the Shabbos clock without going into specific utensils. This Shabbos, you'll have to be okay. Uh-huh. All right? So, um, so that's the question here. Again, objection number one to the Shabbos clock is maybe Shvisas Kalim is in fact a problem. Maybe we should be Machmer like Bishami's opinion. Objection number two is maybe all of the examples that were given in the Mishnah were only where the whole system is in motion before Shabbos begins and then it continues into Shabbos. But here, the system was on, then the system goes off, then it starts again, reactivates, and that would not necessarily be the same. Number three, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein writes, as we're going to read in a few minutes, because I want you to see his own words. We take it as a given that we use Shabbos clocks here in America. Everybody uses Shabbos clock for everything. You should just know that 50 years ago when all of this started, it was not so clear. And Rabbi Moshe was not so convinced, as we will see in a few moments here. Rabbi Moshe has a tshuva, which is very, very important to understand all of this. But Rabbi Moshe says, let's think for a moment. I'm not allowed on Shabbos to ask a non-Jew to do a malacha for me. Why not? The Torah says, Lo malacha, ata uvincha uvitecha. It says, I can't do malacha. My children aren't allowed to do malacha. Everyone in my family can't do malacha. Nowhere does the Torah say that a non-Jew is not allowed to do malacha. The non-Jew is not obligated in the laws of Shabbos. To the contrary, we know that a non-Jew is not allowed to observe Shabbos. So why... Am I not allowed to ask a non-Jew to do malacha for me on Shabbos? A number of reasons given in the Rishonim. But whatever those reasons are, again, we can talk about that another time. Rashi has two opinions. The Rambam has an opinion. Different reasons why Amir al-Nachri, why asking a non-Jew to do a malacha for me on Shabbos is not allowed. Bottom line, it is not allowed. Says her Moshe. The same way I'm not allowed to ask a non-Jew to go do malacha for me. So how am I allowed to ask a machine to do a malacha for me? What's the difference? How can I instruct the machine to do malacha for me? So yes, it's true. I set up the whole system before Shabbos, but who said that works? If Chazal said, if the rabbis taught us that you're not allowed to have a non-Jew serve as your proxy, go in your place and do some kind of malacha on your behalf, then how can I have a machine do a malacha on my behalf? What's the difference? Okay? That is objection number three. Objection number four, says Ramosha, is the concern... If you're going to have all kinds of things that are going to be running on Shabbos clocks, there's going to be no Shabbos anymore. So I can have the TV running on Shabbos and I can have uh, all of my businesses running and I can have everything going like normal and I can have my vacuum cleaner moving around my house because I don't even have to touch it anymore. You can just put it on a timer. The whole thing works. You can have your uh, washing machine and your dryer. Everything will just be going on its own. What kind of Shabbos is that going to be? So he says it's clear to him that this will get completely out of hand and we will have a situation of what we refer to as Zilzal Shabbos. It is going to become, Shabbos will be a joke. Shabbos won't be a serious time anymore. Shabbos will not be focused any longer. We have to make sure that we stay away from that kind of problem. And the way to stay away from it is to make sure we don't use Shabbos clocks. This way we know no gadgets on Shabbos. Doesn't matter what they are. Doesn't matter how they work. We don't use them on Shabbos. We don't activate them. We don't turn them on. We don't have them going on Shabbos clocks. And that is a way to save us from that problem. And finally, number five, the Minchas Yitzchak, who was one of the great Gedolim in Yerushalayim, has a number of Tshuva Svarim. He writes, you have to be concerned for a Michshel. 
If we know, nichshol means you're going to end up making a mistake. If I know that on Shabbos, nothing electronic is running in my house, I'm never going to make a mistake. I know it's Shabbos. But if I have electronic devices running, and yes, they were started, they were activated by a Shabbos clock, but then I'm going to walk by, I'm going to see it's on, I'm going to accidentally press this button, I'm going to turn that on, I'm going to make it higher, make it lower. Oh, the cycle of the washing machine is on, a cold cycle should be on a hot, I'm just going to turn the lever a little bit. Oh yeah, I made a mistake, it's Shabbos, had this happen, had this go. The lights went on Shabbos morning after I woke up. I go into the kitchen and I see, oh, these lights are on, not those. I quickly turn the light on. Oh, but it's Shabbos. How did I do this? The only reason why you did it is because you just watched the lights go on. If you would know that on Shabbos we don't touch anything and the gadgets should not be adjusted and nobody messes around with anything electronic in the house, then it will lead you to make sure never to make a mistake. However, says the Menchaz Yitzchak, once you're going to have Shabbos clocks activating, deactivating all kinds of things, it's going to lead you to make a mistake and potentially change any of the gadgets that are running on Shabbos. So that is the concern of the Menchah Sitzchak. And again, these are basically the five considerations that are brought into the mix by the postkim. Bottom line that we find is most of our communities are makel. We rely on Shabbos clocks. We don't try to use Shabbos clocks for everything. We limit the usage of Shabbos clocks. And the reason why we limit it is because we don't want it to get out of hand and we don't want to have any of the problems that we are outlining here as the postgame raised a number of concerns when Shabbos clocks first came out. So that is in terms of the background. Now, what I want to get into, after I take your questions in a second, what I want to get into is let's read inside the way Rabbi Moshe explains what his objection to the Shabbos clock is because I think you will not believe what he says. It's shocking. Everybody uses Shabbos clocks. Rabbi Moshe was very hesitant and Rabbi Moshe was the Gadol of America. We rely on him for everything here. And it's just very interesting to see it in the original source. So let me hear your question. I think the most firm and outspoken of the modern day postkim regarding Shabbos clocks is Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. If you look in the Igris Moshe, let's learn through it together because as I said, it's important to understand what the issues are here that he sees in running a Shabbos clock in our homes. Pashut she'asr lahatirzeh. Says Rabbi Moshe, it is obvious to me that we cannot allow this. Teharei ayide more sha'oz kazeh. You see what it says in parentheses? Factories. He says you can have full businesses running on Shabbos. Let's say I run a company where I print books. I could just press the button before Shabbos, set a Shabbos clock, and it will just go. What, what kind of Shabbos is that? What does that mean? You can have your businesses running on Shabbos because they're running on a Shabbos clock? There is no greater destruction of Shabbos than this. This is desecrating Shabbos. This is showing that Shabbos no longer exists. Ubarur, he says. This is an amazing statement. Barur, says Ramosha, it is clear to me. If Shabbos clocks were around in the days of the Mishnayis, they would have said it's not allowed. Now that's an amazing statement to say. How do you know what they would have said? I don't know. Ramosha maybe knew what they would have said. I, I'm not comfortable saying that. I know if Chazal were alive, this is what they would say. Ramosha understood Chazal very well. He says, there's no way. If Chazal said that they don't even allow Amir Lenachri, if Chazal said they don't allow me to instruct a non-Jew to do something on my behalf, then certainly Chazal would not allow me to set up a timer where I can do things myself. Of course that wouldn't be allowed. So he says, Vigam Ulai, here's another point. He says, maybe 
when Chazal made this overarching prohibition of asking a non-Jew to do something on your behalf on Shabbos, maybe this is included in that. Not that this is an extension, but this is what they meant. This is exactly what they meant. Okay. And therefore he says he thinks this is a terrible idea. Skip down a line, three dots. If you do something on Shabbos that is not in the spirit of Shabbos, he thinks it's a terrible thing and you violate the din of Kavod Shabbos. I'm supposed to show respect to Shabbos. This is not showing respect to Shabbos by doing activities that are going to bring a lack of excitement for Shabbos because people are going to forget of the Shabbos atmosphere. So now he says, here's the problem. So I, says Ramosha, am very opposed to the uses of Shabbos clocks. Okay. However, he says, look around and you'll see everybody has their lights on a Shabbos clock, especially in the days when Ramosha wrote this, when maybe the community was not as affluent as many are today, and they were extremely careful to make sure to serve, conserve energy. They wanted to make sure not to waste any money. We waste a lot of money today on lots of other things. So, all right, you leave your lights on for the Shabbos. Maybe it's not as bad as it was in the 60s. But back then, Rav Moshe says, everybody had their lights on a Shabbos clock. Everyone had their lights on a Shabbos clock. Young couples also don't waste money, right? Very careful. When you get older, waste. I don't know. I'm not sure why that happens, but that's what happens. So Rav Moshe says, so what do you do? We know that many people in their homes have the lights, the electric lights on a Shabbos clock. And he says, we know that in many communities, not only do they turn the lights off on Friday night after they're finished eating, but also they allow them to go back on Shabbos morning. So he says, what's the deal? How can that be? If you're opposed to Shabbos clocks, then how does everybody set the lights? So Rav Moshe goes into a whole discussion here and he says, well, maybe the lights are a little different because the Ramah says that if you have a Shevard Brachas on a Friday night and you don't have any lights, maybe you can ask a Nanju to light the lights for you. That's a Tzarek Gadol. How can we eat in the dark? It's impossible. And therefore he says, maybe the lights are an exception to the rule. But for the most part, he says, outside of the lights, I see no reason why we should allow such behavior. I think it is going to bring a zilzil to Shabbos. It is going to desecrate Shabbos in the end. And he says he thinks that this is included in the understanding of what Amir al-Nachri would be. And therefore, says Ramosha, he thinks this is something that we should not be engaging in. We should not be using Shabbos clocks for anything else other than potentially the lights. That's what he writes. Okay. Ramosha then repeats this once again. If you look here in the second page, in the Tshuva Sigris Moshe Arachayim Chelek Dalid, Simen Mem, he writes it once again that you are not allowed to use it. However, many people use it for the lights because the lights has this notable exception and therefore he says that would be an exception to the rule. Now, Rav Moshe writes something very interesting in the third Shuva that I quoted here. That's in Arachayim Chelek Hay. Rav Moshe there says, Ein lemelef I don't know how to clearly define between one, between one electrical appliance and another. I don't know how to clearly explain. Why is it that I'm comfortable with somebody leaving their lights on a Shabbos clock and I'm not comfortable with leaving the air conditioner on a Shabbos clock? I don't know how to explain it, says Ramosha. I don't know how to define what the parameter is. Where would this be okay and where not? I don't know how to draw the line, says Ramosha, which is interesting. So then, how do you draw the line? I don't know. Ramosha says the lights are the lights and everything else is everything else. And he says that this is something that he was not comfortable with. Ramosha actually, it's written in the Igris Moshe Chelekhes that Ramosha, there was a big discussion whether you're allowed to open the door of a refrigerator on Shabbos. 
What's the discussion? No, not the light. Way before the lights. The problem is that the motor often will go on. If I open the refrigerator and then hot air comes into the refrigerator, then the motor has to go on to keep it colder, to work harder. So basically what's happening is when I open the door of the refrigerator, I am making the motor go on. So this was a major controversy over the years, whether it's allowed, whether it's not allowed. They quote a story there in the Igris Moshe Chelek that Rabbi Moshe Feinstein had an uncle, Rabbi Yaakov Kantorovitz, who was a Rav in somewhere in New Jersey, Trenton, I think, I forgot what they said. And they said that this rabbi was very opposed to opening a refrigerator on Shabbos. Now, Rabbi Moshe disagreed with that, and he said there's no problem to open a refrigerator because it doesn't happen right away, it doesn't happen every time. We know that's true. Every time you open the door, it doesn't automatically make the motor go on. Once in a while, it does happen. Most of the time, it doesn't happen. So Ramosha made a whole argument to say why he was not concerned. But he said he had a lot of respect for his uncle, Rabbi Kantorovitz, who disagreed with him and who felt that there was a problem opening a refrigerator on Shabbos. And because of that, Ramosha used to set a Shabbos clock on the refrigerator in the other direction. Why? Why? What did he do? What did he do? Out of respect to his uncle, he set a Shabbos clock that at certain times on Shabbos the refrigerator should be off so that he can go and open the door of the refrigerator and not be concerned that the motor will go on. Got it? So that was the exception to the rule in Rabbi Moshe's house. Not only did he say that some people use the Shabbos clock in order to have the lights go on and off on Shabbos, which he explains why that's an exception. And he says, don't extrapolate from that to anything else, to any other appliance, because... That is an anomaly. That is unusual. However, Rav Moshe himself used to use a Shabbos clock in the opposite direction. He made sure to use a Shabbos clock for the refrigerator to turn it off so that he would have the ability to be able to take things out of the refrigerator on Shabbos itself. So this is a very, very major and important question that we need to think about. Why is it that Rav Moshe drew the line by the lights and yet did not say that everything else should be the same as the lights. Why wouldn't we say, once the lights are permissible, then you can have everything else as well? And Ramosha himself agrees to that question, and he says, I don't know exactly how to clearly define the distinction between lights and an air conditioner or a heater, as you very correctly stated. This is something that Ramosha is struggling with in his own shuvas. Ramosha here, the point being, we all take it for granted that we use Shabbos clocks. We all take it for granted that this is something that is a staple of our Shabbosos. This is how everyone observes Shabbos. What I'm pointing out from all of this is not so simple. It's not so simple. It may be true that everyone uses them, but it took a lot of discussion. Many, many, many pages of ink have been spilled on the issue of Shabbos clocks to try to figure out when it's allowed, how it should be allowed, and why it should be allowed for the exceptional cases that we do say it is allowed. What we need to talk about next week, we're going to end here, but what we need to talk about next week is what about dishwashers? What about air conditioners? What about all these different things? Would those be the same? The original discussion that we had is, am I forbidden from having my utensils, my items in my house to do malacha on Shabbos? The answer to that is no. Does that go across the board? Is that for any kind of thing? I can have a vacuum cleaner going on Shabbos and I can have a washing machine. Stay tuned for next week. Amir Tzashem will see everybody on Tuesday. Wishing you all a good Shabbos.